Welcome to another edition of the Heron Outlet. He is Austin Robillard. She is Alex Winley. I am Ian Hest. And guys, woo-wee, what a wonderful week it is to be an Inter-Miami fan. This feels good. What is this? Stretch our legs. Let's get out here, guys. <laughs> Let's have some fun today. Inter-Miami with a 3-1 win over Toronto FC. The first ever, I can't believe I'm saying this, but a year and a half into this project, the first ever time Inter-Miami has won by more than a goal, not just win, but win by multiple goals in their 3-1 win over Inter-Miami. And let's be honest, that was probably the best game we've ever seen Inter-Miami play. Uh, I, I, I was personally stunned by how great that looked. I was not ready for it. I did not expect it. Uh, I, I know that Toronto FC was a, a, a struggling team and they really have not found the mark for a lot of this year, but I still enter Miami has proven time and time again to sort of let you down when you think that they're going to be at the top of the mark this time, not the case. That was a team that looked like a good team in MLS that was performing at a high level and took care of business in a game that they were supposed to win and methodically handled it. We say it's a 3-1 win, but let's be honest, all four goals were scored by Inter Miami because the only goal scored was in by Toronto was an own goal by Kieran Gibbs. So that was a methodical win for Inter Miami in a fashion that we haven't seen before. Let's just start with this. Initial thoughts of that and how this team was performing with control of the game because we haven't really seen them wire to wire control a game like that before. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, kick off here. First of all, it's glad to be, I'm glad to be back with you guys. Uh, I think it's been what, two weeks in a row now I was on the latter end of the shows, uh, yeah. the scheduling conflicts, but I'm glad, glad to be back. Um, feels, feels normal and, and real again. Um, no. So the, the way that they, defeated Toronto FC was a way you ex- exactly how Ian explained it's a way in which you expect a good MLS team to defeat a struggling MLS team like Toronto FC was and I'm not going to call Inter Miami a good MLS team right now they are in a good run of form and they absolutely did the job they were supposed to and I will say the same thing about Chicago those two games at home in a row winning them back-to-back, I mean, six points in a matter of how many days, four days, is something that you need to do if you are going to be serious about making the playoffs and getting that seventh or sixth seed in the Eastern Conference, which now looks likely. Um, You have to look at the resurgence of Rodolfo Pizarro after scoring the winner against Chicago. He comes out and scores twice. One magnificent chop with a left-footed finish, and then he got that through ball from over the top uh, from LGP, which the defender should have done a lot better, but it doesn't matter. It still went to Pizarro and he got the chip. And I mean, he put on a class performance and that's what you need from your DPs. And we talked about this. If Gonzalo Higuain's not stepping up and scoring the goals, who's going to do it. And in very timely moments, Rodolfo Pizarro has done it in the last two matches. And there's just so much to say about the performance overall, but it's something that Miami needs to, continue to do uh, time and time again against struggling MLS teams um, is if they want to make a, a playoff push. And I just want to point out a little stat that I saw uh, earlier on MLSsoccer.com. 
is that their next 15 games are coming up very quickly. Uh, the end of the season is coming very fast, but 11 of the teams that they play in the next 15 games are against sides that are not currently in the playoffs. They're against struggling MLS teams. I believe the only teams that they play that are in a playoff push are the Revolution, Orlando City, I believe Nashville, and one more that I cannot remember at the moment. But everybody else is like Cincinnati, is like, um, you can say Portland. The, the, only well. tough ga- the only tough games that they have is the Rebs, which is the last game of the year. Right. And away at Portland, that whole four games sort of stint that they're going to have because of the makeup with the Red Bulls. But yes, you are correct. There are there are winnable games for the rest of the season, and if Inter Miami don't control them like they did against Toronto, then you can't say that they'll be a playoff team. But they're showing a lot of signs, they're showing a lot of glimpses, and they're showing a lot of reasons to be optimistic. And that's the first time I can say that um, affirmatively this season. Yeah, I think we've got to be cautiously optimistic. I know Inter Miami is playing good soccer right now but you know their team improving I I wouldn't call them you know an established team quite yet they're still uh trying to build Phil Neville still trying to to build a squad here but he's done a a really good job getting them to play good soccer and we saw that against uh uh, Toronto you know they controlled the game for a 90 minutes you know other than that own goal um Miami played quite well their best game of the season in my opinion Pizarro was on fire Iguain was at the center of almost everything Thing. Robbie looked like the Robbie Robinson that we saw earlier in the season. Everyone had a good game. Leandro Gonzalez Perez was, you know, just as offensively a weapon as he was defensively. You know, the the, the formation looked good. The guys knew looked what they were doing. And and you know, this is a game that if Inter Miami want to make the playoffs, like you said, Austin, it's a game that they need uh, to win. Basically, you know, we can't, you know, the club can't drop points against a, a team like Toronto who, who are at the bottom of the, the MLS at this moment. And, um, yeah, it was just a, a needed win for inter Miami. It was a win that they, 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 they should have won and they did, and they, they could, took care of business. Now it's up to, to, to Neville and his coaching staff to see if they can continue that momentum into, uh, Orlando this Friday. Alex, I want to touch on that for a sec. You mentioned LGP and his resurgence. I, I, I struggle to think, is he even a defender at this point anymore? Is he even a defender? Because I, I, he's there a lot and, and we we line him up that way and we call him that. But he is he's further than many of the attackers at this point. And, and he was so involved in the offense, especially against Toronto. And if we go back to, to the Chicago game, he was so involved there that it, should we should, should I don't really know what I'm calling him at this point. I'm sort of like stuck in the middle of this like weird box to box midfielder that kind of is a defender that really isn't a defender, but maybe he's a defender. And I don't really know what to call him anymore. Oh uh, yeah. I, if you look at his uh, positional, you know, average player positions from who scored, he's almost in line with the midfield. You know, there's, uh, you know, especially against Toronto when Pizarro lined up on that right hand side, he was able to tuck in a lot and, and play almost as a, you know, as a creative 10 and Lewis Morgan playing as a right wing back allowed uh, uh, Lewis to be that outlet on that right hand side instead of having Pizarro play as an out and out winger. And that left Leandro to basically, you know, start the build up from the back. And, it, you know, because of that, Pizarro, you know, he, he didn't need to drop that deep. Uh, uh, Morgan could can push up. You know, he was allowed to push up um, in line with that forward uh, line with Robbie Iguain 
and Pizarro to play as a as a winger almost instead of a, a right wing back. So with Leandro, he he's been you know, he's always been a, a ball playing center back. You know, he, he's, he's really good at that. Even with Atlanta, he, he was known for, you know, just being able to ping balls uh, up to, to Joseph Martinez. So, uh, you know, uh, Miami's blessed to have him, you know, and um, I'm just glad that he's getting in form. And, you know, earlier this season, you know, he was a bit inconsistent, but, you know, at this period in time with this formation that they're playing, it's suiting, you know, almost all of Inter Miami's defenders right now. McCoon's playing well, Figal is playing well, and LGP, he, he is that rock in that defense right now. So having a ball playing center back like him, it's absolutely huge for Miami and Neville because it gives, uh, you know, the team another offensive option, you know, playing out of the back. Austin, I wanted to touch on that real fast with you because when we're talking about the offense, now, all of a sudden, there is a plethora of options. We, we've gone from where is this team going to find offense to how are, you know, who are you going to pick? Robbie is in form, and we'll get to him uh, later in the show. Pizarro, three goals in two games. Uh, Iguain has found some form. Federico is there. Lewis Morgan, Indiana Vasilev. Now, all of a sudden, this team has options that they can rotate through and go to. Just touch on it for me for a bit uh, uh, about where this team, I mean, we didn't even get to like UO or guys like that. Like, I mean, th this team is starting to find a groove of a rotational offense that you can sort of feel comfortable with. One 100%. And the first point I want to touch on with this rotational offense and the plethora of players and options that Neville has, it was exploring Lewis Morgan as a right wing back, I guess we'll call him. I know it's more of like a three, four, three. When you look at how far he plays up the field along with Kieran Gibbs, but having Lewis Morgan play in behind any right winger who's playing in this three, four, three, or however you guys see the formation three, four, two, one, it's all over the place. It's a very fluid formation, um, but it gives you, you know, balance on both sides because we know what Kieran Gibbs can do on the left in combination play. We know what Lewis Morgan can do. So if you're starting Pizarro on one wing or you're starting Vasilev on one wing or it's Robbie Robinson on one wing, you have all these different options because you have really good combination players. And I think Phil Neville has finally found that. And that's why this formation is working so well. And at the same time, you have to look at LGP as an offensive weapon as well, as you guys just mentioned him moving up the field and playing a very direct style in his own right, pinging up balls, um, even making runs from, from the back to go past the midfield. I think he does a phenomenal job at that. And it adds another layer to this attack. And of course, Gonzalo Higuain, who is not only just a goal scorer, he has done so much for this team in the last couple of games, even though he hasn't been on the score sheet much, he is the direct result of all three goals in the Chicago game. He played a massive part in the Toronto game. And I don't think that that can be overlooked as well. And you, when you're surrounding a player like Gonzalo Higuain with all this talent and all this combination play, it just gets more out of him that ha doesn't have to do with just putting him in the box. So I think that Phil Neville finally has, has, you know, something in his head where he can go with. And I think that throughout this stretch of games that's coming up in the next couple of months to have rotational pieces that you can be happy with in the starting lineup from week to week is really good because it keeps people fresh. And I would be fine to see Vasilev start. I would be signed. I would be fine to see Robbie start. I'd be fine to see, you know, Pizarro get benched for a game or, and, you know, keep him fresh. There are so many different options now, and that's not something that we saw or even 
thought of having in the beginning of the season, but the addition of Kieran Gibbs has really helped and exploring Morgan as a wingback has also really helped. Well, let me press you on that because does that mean that, that you're fine with the three DPs not having to play because we, have we entered that phase for you that, that you're okay with some of those guys that are not DPs uh, like could, could, could you have a game where inter Miami didn't play any of the designated players, Gonzalo Higuain, Blas Matuidi and Rodolfo Pizarro? I, I would say no. And honestly, <clears throat> it's for one reason and one reason only. I don't trust anybody else being a striker on this roster and that it's, that's including Julian Carranza. And I think that Robbie Robinson has definitely molded to more of a winger and it allows him to do what he does best and take players on one-on-one in open space. And he couldn't do that if he was playing centrally for the most part. Um, ideally him as a winger just makes more sense. And Carranza just is not ready yet. So I would not be fully comfortable with dropping all three of them. If, 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 Higuain needs a rest fully understand but then I think you need to have Pizarro on the pitch I think one of those two need need to be on the pitch at all times and I I know Alex this will make you smile I don't really see Matuidi as a DP right now and I honestly the midfield of Victor Ulloa and Gregory is perfectly fine with me and it could go any of those three a combination with as long as Gregory's on the field I'm fine with Alex, as we talk about this offense, so much of it for me is predicated on the passing and what has happened. Uh, This was a team that has struggled with that so often. And we've talked, you and I in the past, about how possession didn't matter as much as just getting a purpose to it when they had it. Because even as they dominated the Toronto game, they still only had 43% possession. Right. But it was it was that it was how they used it when they had their moments to create these ideas. And you and I talked last week about how that those medium and long balls happen. They were 91 percent on medium passes, 73 percent on long balls, which is just a crazy number to think about when that winds up, be, which has come so much a, a part of this offense. So big a part of this offense is those medium to long passes. That's basically half of the entire passing that they're doing. Uh, it really just changes the game. You don't now always have to think about those negative balls that they're doing. You, you can think with a more forward-thinking mentality. Uh, just your, your sense of, of how this team has been able to evolve the passing that has improved and, and what that means for them to be able to get forward, to be able to make chances and, and really create on the attack. Yeah, um, during this morning's uh, pre-match conference, uh, LGP basically touched on how the formation switch allowed them to control possession a bit more, you know, uh, find those those passing lanes that they normally weren't uh, able to find when they played that that 4-2-3-1, which is something that, uh, I don't know, this is off topic, but I, I brought this up in, in our Just group throw chat. throw it in the how, trash, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It, like, whether or not, is Neville going to continue with this back line, even, like, next year if we get rid of players? You know, is this going to be, like, a Barcelona 4-4-3 thing, uh, 4-3-3 thing where they play it through the academy and, they, you know, up to the first team, Fort Lauderdale CF? That's another tangent that I, I think about often. But, yeah, this formation, it, it, it uh, LGP said it, it fit them a lot because they were able to find space. They were able to keep possession more. You know, they were able to find those triangles and diamonds uh, all over the pitch. So they're not aimlessly uh, kicking long balls over the top. They are measured uh, medium long balls that, you know, they find the feet of their offensive, uh, um, you know, intended target. So it's not so much, oh, you know, 
lump the ball up and pray basically it's it's oh we are passing to we're switching the play to Robbie Robinson because he is an outlet on that left hand side that is incredibly quick like like keep that guy he's probably one of the fastest players in MLS uh, don't quote me on that I'm not sure they should really do a race but uh yeah he's super quick and he's that you know that wide outlet on that left hand side that allows some like Pizarro to cut in uh, if he were to line up on the right. It allows Lewis Morgan to get up on that right-hand side and the, that the Morgan and Robbie on the right and left, it's it's really difficult to defend as an, as an opposition team. So yeah, that, that formation, um, I'm, I'm glad we'll switch to it because it, it plays to the player's strengths at this point. And that 4-2-3-1, you know, it was growing pains and I'm, I'm, I'm just very glad Neville uh, switched back to uh, you know what he uh basically intended uh i don't want to say all the time but you know it was only a matter of time before miami were to switch formations basically so um as for the dp thing personally you guys know my feelings about blaze matweedy even though he's been playing well i don't necessarily rate him i think he's regressing statistically you can see it i've got the proof just at me on twitter i swear i'll send it to you uh but yeah gregory usual chapman literally any of those three mid uh, three midfield players Barma, Tweedy, they can start, and I think that Inter Miami will play the same way. With Pizarro, he's coming back into form, so um, uh, I, yeah, I think it depends on on the team. Basically, if you guys want to add in, you know, if it if we're playing against like a Toronto, we're gonna have more uh, opportunities in the final third. Yes, you play him, but if it's someone like a say Orlando, do you start a Vasilev and try to hit Orlando on the break? So I think it's uh, entirely dependent on the opposition team and and their tactics so uh yeah and i i also wouldn't drop Iguain either because he's got eight goals on the season so and yeah so if you guys want to add in that those are that's those are my personal thoughts but i i know that's not necessarily a popular opinion well real fast i want to ask you from a tactical formation standpoint they, they have that almost like middle block in the middle of the field that they've done with Pizarro and Robbie uh, up top. And then it was Uoa and Gregory in defense. And it was sort of like a midfield square that they did. Uh, do you like that? It, does Matuidi fit into that? Could Indiana fit into that? Because uh, he maybe is a little more angled of a player. H- how would you keep that rotation with that block that we liked so much over the weekend? Um, personally, I'd, I'd, I'd start, um, excuse me, Vasilev on that right hand side. I think, I think Orlando's a tricky team and they're going to dominate possession like uh, they did three weeks ago. So I I don't think it's going to be a a game where Miami has clear cut chances. You know, they're going to have to maybe hit them on the counter when, you know, the opportunity arises. And I I don't think Pizarro's not the quickest player and, you know, Indy in Indiana has a lot of pace to burn. So. I think starting Robbie and Indiana together, I think it'll it'll cause Orlando defenders some trouble. And I also wouldn't start Matuidi because you know, come the 70th minute and we're like the teams are still tied zero zero. He gets heavy legs. He gives up a, a dumb foul at the top of the yard box. You know, Nani or Pereira or one of their skillful players can you know score off a free kick. So it, it, it's just it it depends. But I do think Neville will pick the freshest team. You know, that's always been his motto after that Revs loss. So um, yeah, I think it, it'll 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 be a toss up going into Friday. I'll say this about Matuidi starting on Friday. I kind of want it to happen. And if it does happen, I have one rule for Neville and one rule only is just take him off at the half. 
just don't even get into that that point where you see him physically regressing on the field where it you know it, it could start to really hinder this team make some halftime substitutions he's it just please, then I'd be happy with it because I know Matweedy is very passionate about Orlando and this rivalry matchup. We've seen it on the field. He got in it, into it with Nani last time out. And that's something that you need in a rivalry game. This isn't no, this isn't like a, a tactical analysis. This is just as a fan perspective and seeing stuff that happens on the field, you want that kind of edge. So for me, I I'd rather have Matweedy on the field to start the game, but take him off at the half. If he does look tired or even gives any, uh, you know, simple that he is tired. And as for uh, up front, I know you said starting Vasilev because, you know, he, he's quicker and that would help with the counters. I'll say this. I like Pizarro as a player in this game because I think Pizarro is kind of hard to figure out, um, especially in this front three when it when it comes to Rob, if, if it's Robbie Higuain and then Pizarro on the right wing. And I put air quotations there because he's very much a free roaming player. Um, it's not that he is going to be stuck down to this right wing like Vasilev would. There's a lot of times where he will drift inside and he will be under Gonzalo Higuain to give him service. Um, he does do defensive work. And I know it's not, you know, the most efficient defensive work, but he does rush back at times. Um, and, and I think that having Morgan on that right side, if he does start at right wing back, I think you would be okay to have Pizarro over there because we know how much Morgan is going to get up and down and still provide service from there. So I think you, you have to start Pizarro be given this run of form. I don't know what's going to happen as we're recording. It's 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. I believe the MLS All-Star game is 9.30 p.m. kickoff uh, Eastern time. I don't know what his role will be in the MLS All-Star game, uh, but given you know that he is fresh, you cannot take the ball away from his feet at any point, especially in this this Orlando game, and let him start in Vasilev. You know, that is a that is a beautiful 60th minute substitution. If you need fresh legs, you need someone to run and you need somebody quick, you know, to, to, you know, help with any switches of play or counter attacks. Vasilev is that guy to come off the bench. So I, I think you save Vasilev for, for the last 30 minutes and start Pizarro feed the hot hand and let him go. Well, let's talk about inter Miami's Joker and talk about a, uh, a complicated relationship. Uh, with Inter Miami and Rodolfo Pizarro, the first ever all-star for Inter Miami, the first ever goal scorer for Inter Miami last year. He's gotten two goals against uh, Toronto and now three goals on the year, uh, but really falls into a very complicated territory for a designated player. Finally starting to get a run of form and yes, was named to the all-star team I said for obvious marketing reasons, once Chicharito and Carlos Vela were removed from the all-star game, they needed uh, a Mexican star to come in there. Pizarro sort of felt that. And you could see in the all-star challenge, like you had said, we're recording this year on Wednesday evening last night, that would have been Tuesday. You could see in that, that he was clearly there for a marketing purpose and, and really not much else. He didn't really perform other than the crossbar challenge. I think it was the only competition that he was in. So we'll see how he performs tonight, but I just sort of want to get your thoughts guys on, on, how this has gone with Pizzato because th there was uh, sort of talk of him being out of favor. He was going to be on the move. We weren't sure if he was already one foot out the door 
when the Gold Cup was was going on a, a month and a half ago. And now, all of a sudden, he's in this run of form where he looks like the player that Inter-Miami always had intended for him to be. It, it is You joke about it with the Joker, right, being Jekyll and Hyde. But is that just something that we sort of need to accept? Is it something that has that was just like a phase and now we can, we can intend on him being the player that we always hope for him to be. I'm really, I'm really cagey about this and I don't really know what to, to make of it. I don't think anybody really knows what to make of it, including Pizarro himself or what, what to expect because overall this, this experiment with him being, you know, that, that DP has not gone well uh, overall, overall. And I know that we're riding the high of this recent run of form and him not necessarily single-handedly winning the Toronto game, but that two goal performance was great. Getting the 90th minute winner against Chicago is even better. I mean, it's phenomenal. And that's what you expect from Rodolfo Pizarro, the designated player. And that's what we thought from day one. That's what I thought he was going to be after he scored that goal in uh, DC uh, all the way in March of 2020. So I, I don't think anybody really knows what to expect. And I don't think that any inter Miami fan, this is just my personal advice to you listening is don't hold on to this run of form dearly. And don't think that it's going to happen consistently. And don't think that Rodolfo Pizarro might, he could not be an inter Miami player by the end of the season. I mean, there are so many different variables that could happen in so many different scenarios with him he's a tricky player. He's a tricky, tricky situation. And the Joker name is just so unbelievably fitting uh, for him. I I like Pizarro as a player. I love Pizarro as a player. Honestly, I think he's got really good quality and in the right system and in the right, I guess, mindset and state of mind, which I guess is very much uh, repetitive, but um, with him doing great things, you can see what he can be. And I don't know if he will do this for inter Miami for the long term, but at the same time, just take it as it comes. That's what I would say to inter Miami fans, take it as it comes. And that's why I said to you, Alex, just now, I don't think benching him at this moment is a bad idea. So take the run of form and go with it and let him produce for you while he can. But Alex, to that point, he's a Diego Alonso guy. I mean, he's a Monterey guy still. Uh, yeah, uh, look, I've been critical of Pizarro. Uh, I, you know, I have, this, I have this thing about number 10s as a whole. I, it's, it's a different tangent that I can go off on. I think that the number 10 in world football, it's they're slowly declining and they're shifting into more eight, number six hybrids that they have to do the box-to-box role, but that's besides the point. I think with Pizarro, yeah, I agree with Austin. I don't think he's going to be, he's going to be an inter-Miami player for long. I, I know that there have been, some reports, including the in the athletic, that they are looking to move him on. Uh, you know, so uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, and you know, he's in a good run of form right now. But uh, yeah, you should start him. But at the same time, I think it just depends on the team. And, and you know, Rodolfo, he's a, he's a great guy. You know, listening to him talk, he's he's funny. He's a jovial guy. He seems to be well liked in the locker room. But you know, you know it. It's just, it's just an unfortunate situation. I think it was Inter Miami's bad planning last season. You know them switching uh, um, uh, just directions, going from a younger team to a uh, uh, um, 
to a like a more European based DP, you know, it, you know, he was just caught in the middle of that. And, you know, Diego Galonzo getting, getting sacked, it, it didn't do him any favors. And, you know, Neville does preach about how he, he really rates him and whatnot, but, you know, Inter Miami are looking to move on Pizarro, you know, cause he, his wages and with the sanctions coming up, you know, having a, a DP spot will be very valuable to Inter Miami. So it, it's really unfortunate and his performances have, have, you know, been great. And I, I hope they continue for the sake of Inter Miami. But as of right now, um, you know, you know, his future isn't with, you know, Inter Miami and, and it's unfortunate because he, he, He's a good player. He's just not going to reach that potential in here in Miami. You know, uh, you know, I think Austin touched on that before, you know, he has a lot of good qualities, but you know, maybe it's not here in Miami that he's going to fulfill those. It could be, you know, back in Mexico or what have you. So yeah, it's unfortunate and it, it, it's just sad. It's a sad situation. And uh, I do think he'll probably end up starting on Friday. Uh, Neville did touch on that. Pizarro will fly back. You to, think uh, even, Florida even with, even with the all-star game, you think that he's going to play? Yeah. Yeah. Neville was pretty, uh, you know, hell bent on saying that, yeah, Pizarro will be coming back for the Orlando game. You know, he's done it before with the national team. I remember, uh, was it uh, like a friendly, he went over to Europe and then flew back for, was a playoff game or, or something, but he's done it multiple times. So I don't think any, uh, this one won't be any different. So yeah, it's unfortunate, but uh, Pizarro's a great player, but I, I, you know, his future is, it's not in uh, uh, Miami pink. I'm done with the Pizarro talk, but I just want to talk on Neville really quickly on his interviews and pressers. He's very tricky and he's not always telling the truth. So I kind of see him trying to throw Oscar Pereja one way. Reverse psychology. Yeah. Something like that. (laughs) Now I now I think Pizarro will start, but don't be surprised if he doesn't. That's all I'm saying because Neville likes to really have fun in these pressers and and, and throw the media and and throw whoever's listening the opposite way of what he's going to do on the pitch come game time. I don't want to belabor the point on Pizarro because he has had a good run of form here and he did play probably one of his, if not his best game uh, against Toronto, but I did find it a little comical. I mean, he's, he's 44th in all of MLS unexpected goals for midfielders in the 44th percentile of, of, of expected goals. He's 22nd on expected assists. So he hasn't really performed. He's played less minutes than John McCarthy and Ryan Shawcross. So I, I think that when you, when you think about that, he really hasn't been on the field as much contributing and now he's an all-star. So yes, a wonderful run of form for him. But like Alex said, to her point, I, I think that, that we really need to put in perspective what he is contributing to this squad and and really what it means if at the end of the season like you said with the window now closing soon uh what it does mean moving forward okay i want to talk as we are at the all-star break a little bit about where we are in the eastern conference standings because I alluded to this earlier this week that there seems to be really four tiers that are appearing in the Eastern Conference. The New England Revolution on top, clearly running away, and really right now at the top of the Supporters' Shield standings, uh, might win it. Uh, they have been, you know, basically the Buffalo Bills of MLS for a lot of years, continually making MLS Cup and falling short. Uh, but then you have that sort of middle pack towards the top of the Eastern Conference standings with uh, Nashville, New York City FC, Philadelphia Union, Orlando City, all of them sort of 
very comfortably around the playoffs, probably should make the playoffs. Then there's the the bottom, which we're, we're going to sort of jump here, that bottom tier, which is the fire Cincinnati and Toronto, that you really, those are the teams that you need to take care of business against. That leaves me with the remaining pack, which is where Inter-Miami finds it, with Montreal, D.C., Atlanta United, Columbus Crew, New York Red Bulls, and Inter-Miami. All of those guys right around the same point, right around that 1.2 points per game because of you know playing different games, you, you have to sort of do it that way. But right around that 1.2 points per game fashion, only two of those teams probably will make the playoffs. So of those teams that I just mentioned, I think I mentioned six of them that are in that, Montreal, D.C., Atlanta, Columbus, New York, and Inter-Miami. Where, where do you stack Inter-Miami with them? How, how likely is it that they can find the points necessary to make a playoff run? Let me just give you the numbers really quickly. Uh, Inter-Miami have played 19 games. The only team above them in that third tier that you just mentioned, Ian, um, that are even with them are, are the New York Red Bulls. Columbus have played two more games. Atlanta have played two more games. DC United and Montreal have all played two more games than them. And Miami currently sit with 22 points, five points out of that seventh spot where DC United sit. So with two games in hand, this far late in the season, I mean, this, I guess, early to use this term, uh, but fate uh, apparently is in their own hands. You know, if they win out, then and everybody else wins out, Inter Miami are in the playoffs. So that's something, you know, really crazy to think about. It's also really crazy to think about with 19 games played. If you were to tell me that Inter Miami would be in this third tier as you've broken it down, I would have said, yeah, right. They're probably going to be in the fourth tier. So the fact that they've gotten up to this point is really good. I will say this. Their games that are going to come up against the Red Bulls, I think there's either two or three of them, and they come at a very quick time, are going to be very important. Those are games that they call six-pointers. Those are games that you have to win. They play Columbus. They play Atlanta. All games you have to win in order to jump some teams in the standings. And don't forget that that Red Bulls game is the makeup from the Lightning Doubt game with in which they have to go to Portland, then travel back across the United States to Red Bulls, then travel to Columbus before coming back down to, to the Southeast. So that is one of the long, there is a larger travel in those four games that they will have towards that than most uh, Premier League teams make in an entire season. That's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. And that kind of tells me, me buying tickets to Portland and going to see that game is probably not necessarily a waste. I'm going to have a good time, but I don't know if that game is going to be taken as seriously as it would have, you know, when before the game was rescheduled, because you're, you're trying to focus on the Eastern conference opponents. Um, dropping anything to Portland is not too bad. You want to gain the advantage on your, your rivals in the East. And they have very many chances to do that. Uh, as for the two teams I, I see coming out of this, I, I, I kind of see the Red Bulls being one. I know that they've dipped form lately, but I, that is my, my guess, outlandish pick. But I also see Montreal staying up there. I think that they have a very good side. I, I am a huge fan of Georgie Mihailovic, and I like what Wilfred Nancy has done given you know his circumstances. And, and I think that they have a pretty strong, deep roster where they rotate a lot of different players. And I think that they'll stay up there just due to freshness. Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked that Columbus... You know, after winning MLS Cup last season, they 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 really dropped off a cliff. It's it's pretty, it's surprising how they they've lost 
you know, their last, was it one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games? This is, and I think that's a worse, uh, you know, losing streak than what Inter Miami had earlier this season. It's pretty, I feel bad for them, but like, yeah, I, as far as that group goes, I think that I agree with Austin. I think Montreal will stay up there. And I also think somehow, I think Atlanta United is going to end up, you know, like just pushing their way into a playoff spot. I, I know they're a franchise that, you know, they pride them, themselves on winning a lot. And, you know, I, I just can't see them after the season they've had, you know, firing Gabriel Heinze and, you know, just firing, getting rid of, rid of a bunch of players. I don't think, I don't think they can afford to, to really miss the playoffs. I know that's something that they want to do. They're sitting on 27 points right now. So, yeah, I think Atlanta will sneak in. I think Montreal will stay. And I also think that I'm surprised. Uh, I'm surprised that you guys are so high on Montreal. I mean, I really, I really am scared of Columbus. That ZZ top up top for them. You, you with, think with so? Nardis and Zellerian, like the the that ZZ top scares me. Honestly, it, it's because of you know their late collapse against Seattle. You know they they were up a goal and then Seattle ended up scoring two goals in two minutes. And granted, it's it's yeah, but the that was Seattle Sounders. That was yeah, an yeah. emotion game. Yeah, but still, I'm just surprised that you know they, they fall in this low in this losing streak. We we know how 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 you know how toxic it can be for a club to lose like that consistently, and it happened to Inter Miami. Uh, thankfully, they're out of it now. But it's going to be really difficult for Columbus to, to to scrape points. And I think with teams like Inter Miami, the Red Bulls, and even Atlanta Atlanta United and DC United that are above them, I think that they're just going to keep. Uh, climbing if they're below Columbus and they're going to keep um, uh, hang out their spots if they're above Columbus. And I can't really see the crew really sneaking up like that. So yeah, um, like you guys said earlier, th- those are games that Inter Miami has to absolutely win if they, if they were to, are to sneak into the playoffs there, you know, you can't, you know, like the Portland game, you know, normally it would be a throwaway game because they're, they're a Western conference side, but you know, picking up three points against a Portland team that they have also not been doing too hot um, this season either. It can be pretty valuable. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, it me just need to con- just win basically, you know, they've, they've got a good chance of making the playoffs and, you know, it, it would be a great thing if they were able to do that considering how their season started. I'm going to, I, I want to jump in here really quickly and take over the hosting duties and put the pressure on Ian Hest here because both Alex and I have not picked inter Miami in our two of the third tier to make the playoffs. Ian, are you going to be the one to put inter Miami there or not? Who are your two people or two teams? I think it's two of the three between, well, two, two of the four. I think that it's DC Atlanta crew and inter Miami. I don't, I don't like Montreal's chances. I don't think that that's very sustainable for them. I think that they raced out to some early points and now they're falling back into the pack. Um, I, I don't have Red Bulls for me. I mean, if they, if they can rack up home points, yeah, but they're so poor on the road that, that I don't really know what's, what's going on. If they can get enough road points to stay in it, uh, crew is surprising to me because I would have at the start of the season told you they were easily it. DC is one of those weird teams that you re- never really know what's going on with them. And then you have Atlanta and Inter Miami that both on paper are extremely talented and yet haven't gotten the points necessary to find themselves in a more comfortable position. I, l- let's be honest of, of the four Southeast teams, if, if, if you had to pick at the start of this season, 
between those four Southeast teams of Nashville, Orlando, Inter-Miami, and Orlando, uh, Nashville, Orlando, Inter-Miami, and Atlanta, you would have said that Inter-Miami and Atlanta are the two better teams than the two teams that are currently safely in the playoffs right now. I, I think that Inter-Miami is better than both Orlando and Nashville. That's no disrespect to them, but on paper, when you would look at that, you would say, okay, I'm looking at the team sheet. I think that this is a better team. And yet, or, credit to both of those guys, and I want to get to Orlando in a sec because Inter-Miami faced them on Friday, but Orlando and Nashville taking care of business and Inter-Miami and Atlanta have both squandered points, and that's where we find ourselves. I do think that they are both more talented teams, uh, especially, I mean, when you talk about, if, you know, if, if Joseph Martinez, go, you know, or, or Miles Robinson, I mean, Atlanta's got some firepower there. Miami has some firepower too, and they're really starting to feel it. So I think that that's why I put Inter Miami in that conversation because I think that they deserve to be in it. When earlier in the year, when you know MLSsoccer.com had them as the, I gave Matt Doyle a lot of a hard time on this that he had put them as barely number twenty-seven, which is last. There's twenty-seven teams in MLS, and he had put them barely number twenty-seven, as saying that they didn't even deserve to be last in all of MLS. I thought that that was a little extreme because I think that when you look at this team on paper, they are they they should be a lot better than what they have been, and I think that they're sort of figuring it out now, which is why they get to be entered into this conversation. That being said. They need to earn our trust now that we're putting them in this conversation to be talked about with that tier of, of what we're putting them in. Yeah, I think 27 is really harsh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah uh, that's fair. Um, I think, you know, I mean, just they need to keep it consistent. There's always that fear in the back of my head that they're going to slip back into the inner Miami of old of, uh, you know, the inner Miami of earlier this season where they just, you know, they'll capitulate against, you know, um, you know, teams, you know, I remember that DC United game at home where they were down two goals in the first, what, 20 minutes. And it was just really, it was just poor soccer from, from inner Miami all around. And, uh, you know, there's that fear that they can relapse into that, you know, as they continue on this winning streak, but, you know, it's up to Neville and his staff to to make sure that Inter Miami are, you know, they're able to they're able to continue doing this. You know, they, they've got a good chance to make the playoffs. I, I won't put them in there yet because I think that there are a couple of teams on this list that uh, can trip them up. You know, or the Orlando game on Friday that could be a game that could, you know, basically set the tone for where Inter Miami will finish for the rest of the season. And, and I think that it, you know, the Portland game, now that you guys mentioned it, it could be a, a game where they can't pick up a free three points off a Western coast side. That's not doing too well. So um, as far as everything goes, I think inter Miami just need to continue to win, basically continue to play their football, you know, try to get results uh, wherever they can. And I, I do think that they have a good uh, chance to, to, uh, uh, to make the playoffs. Yeah, I'm not I'm not ruling them out of a playoff spot. And I think that it's actually very, very realistic. But I don't want to, you know, I think what is this a six game streak now for them where they've gone unbeaten four wins at home in a row that has to keep up if they want to get into the playoffs. And they other than this run of form that they've had in the last six game, there is nothing prior to that shows that they will sustain this form. 
that six game losing streak was absolutely brutal. And I don't think that they've fully gotten away from a lot of the issues that, that they had. And I think a lot of it has to do with the defensive end and giving up goals. Um, I said in my, in the last show uh, towards the end where I had my little part, um, that inner Miami's biggest problem, even before the Chicago game, even before the game, before that I had said in the press box to somebody that my hot take is that this is when we were going through a goal scoring issue that my hot take was that it's not the offense. That's the problem. It's the defense. That's the problem. The scoring goals. That's the, or the not conceding goals is the problem. And, and I thought that they were scoring goals. Fine. The offense would come. It would click at some point, but they need to do better on the defensive end. And one thing I point to, and I say, if they want to make a playoff run, you've got to have some clean sheets. And if you don't pick up clean sheets, you're going to struggle in getting out performances. They have not had a clean sheet since the nil-nil in the game against Nashville, which was the third game of the season. I think that was May 2nd. But so, is it important? I, I, want to, I, I want to challenge you on that because I don't think that it's important. I, so much of this team, and I keep talking about it ad nauseum, so much of this team is completely done uh, on the offense. Like their success is completely tied to the offense. They are 6-2-1 and one when their expected goals is above 0.9. So basically like when they score, they are one of the best teams in MLS. I, I really don't think that the defense matters at all at this point. I, 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 I guess the statistics do look that way, but through the next 15 games, if there are no clean sheets, I will say inter Miami will not be in the playoffs. There's just no way. I, I, I can't see how they could keep on taking. I mean, even the two goals that they conceded against Chicago, granted, they did a great job against Toronto. That was borderline a clean sheet. And that, that's one that you could look at, you know, the, the corner and the Kieran Gibbs thing uh, is what it is. Own goal sucks. But the Chicago game, I mean, we were worried there for, for quite a bit of time. They went up to one and then you look at the game that they, the last time they had won before that was other than the Montreal game was the Cincinnati game. And we were worried for quite a bit of time there too. When we went, it, it got up to be two, two at some point, they were just conceding goals between that 15 minute stretch uh, in the 45th and the 60th minute. Cincinnati looked to have taken control. And if it wasn't for a Gonzalo Higuain last minute winner, I guess this is, you know, the the cardiac herons, if you want to call it. I mean, it's, it, it's not going to keep, repeating that way you're not going to get a Vasilev Pizarro Higuain 90th minute winner week in and week out and you cannot expect that you need to have games where it's really grinded out one nil wins would be nice I think two nil wins even better I just want to see Miami have a solid defensive performance because they've already proved what they can do on offense we literally just spent 15, 20 minutes talking about the offensive rotation, what Phil Neville has done and the players he has at his disposal and how good they've been. And this finally figured out now on the defensive end, figure out how to get Nick Marsman a clean sheet, because not only does he deserve it, but I know he wants it too. And, and I think that it would really help playoff push. And I'll stick to my, my point that if there's no clean sheets, for the next 15 games, which are the last 15 games of the season, Miami is not finishing top seven in the Eastern conference. Yeah, I, I will say um, against Toronto, there was a moment in time where I seriously thought that they were going to get a, a second goal. I, I think that Inter-Miami definitely has still has some defensive issues. I think that's the only thing that's uh, making me hesitant of 
directly putting them in a playoff spot is they just got to solve that, you know, that, that clean sheet issue at the back, you know, Marsman, you know, he's played in a handful of inter Miami games and I, I, he's yet to keep a clean sheet. And that's a, a concern, you know, if you want to win games and close out games consistently, you need to, to stop leaking goals basically. And I know Toronto's not the best side and that own goal was uh, a, you know, a defensive error, but you know, Toronto did look a threat at certain periods during the match. So if inter Miami really want to, to, you know, claim a playoff spot they, they definitely need to just keep it consistent on the defensive side and 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 yeah it's a huge issue and i think that once they get that solved they're definitely going to be a dangerous team to 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 face if they do make the playoffs i do want to say in in fairness to nick marsman i mean we were talking earlier this season about how john mccarthy was and no offense to him was statistically at the time the worst goalkeeper in MLS just by the numbers. And we, we sort of judge that based on, you know, uh, P it's, it's a stat called PSXG. What, what the expected goal is after the shot, it, how they're doing Nick Marsman currently sits in the 92nd percentile in all of MLS in, in that stat. So it, he has, uh, he has performed well, even though he has not had those clean sheets, his and his distribution, I think we all can agree has been discernibly better as we've continued guys. I, I like that we've moved back in terms of the all-star break. I want to talk about the Orlando game coming up as we end the show. But Alex, I, I did want to touch on real fast uh, the Heronitos, the Fort Lauderdale CF, and what happened over the weekend because oof, the worst loss of the year, 4-0 to FC Tucson. Uh, they, they've only won one game in their past six ever since we were talking about how the, the great run of form that they were happening. happening. Uh, they've fallen back down to earth. It didn't look that bad it, for a four nil loss it was a, a a bit of a wonky game I, I thought Georgia Costa played pretty well uh Drake Callender probably had if, since we're talking about goalkeeping probably his worst performance that I've at least seen him play uh but it, it was sort of a weird game where they didn't deserve to lose four nil but you still lost four nil so we have to call a spade a spade right yeah, it was a really sloppy game from the first, you know, couple of minutes, you know, for Lauderdale, they, they looked off. They really looked off. Uh, yeah, I'm just rethinking, you know, just rethinking the game in my head. It was just really sloppy from from everyone. Yeah, Georgia Costa played well. Harvey Neville did have a bit of a shocker. There were several errors that he did make. You know, he was losing the ball a lot. It was just sloppy from from everyone. And, you know, for 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 a team that's, you know, you know, offensively good, like Fort Lauderdale CF, uh, you know, they, they, they weren't really able to, they, they didn't score. And it was against a team in FC Tucson where they, they didn't score in like three straight games before they, they played for Lauderdale. So for, for, for Lauderdale CF to, to give up four goals, especially with someone like Amay Mabika in the back, which is surprising and he did his best, but it was really, sho- it was shocking. It was probably, it was their worst played game of the season. And, I know Darren Powell won't be happy about that, and they and I'm sure they'll bounce back um, when they play uh, South Georgia Tormenta FC uh, uh, August uh, the 28th, which is coming up soon. But yeah, it was just it was a shocking loss. I was I was kind of upset because I expected them to to do better, but yeah, it's unfortunate, and uh, I'm sure they'll bounce back quickly. I know that they're young, but how do you find consistency with Evans, Curry, and Azcona up top? Because uh, I like them, 
they have so much energy, but it, it's it's just like a roller coaster with them where you get some games like this where it, it just nothing seems to be working. They, they try so many things. They're such creative players. They're, they're so fun to watch when, when it works, but when it doesn't work, it's just like, guys, just get your, you're in your head, get out of it. And what are you doing? It doesn't, it seems very, um, it, I, I, I know that they're young players, but it seems very immature. It doesn't seem like they can figure it out or like problem solve on the fly like that. Yeah, it seems like they have uh, early season inter Miami syndrome where they just want to play hero ball and do everything themselves. I know Ascona, uh, Evans, and Curry, they're great players, but there's times where, you know, they'll force shots or they'll, they'll misplace the ball and, you know, it'll lead the opposition to, to get on the counter. And it, it's not the type of uh, a football that I know Darren Powell wants them to be playing because they played better, but, you know, they played better than that. And, yeah, it was it was just a sloppy game. Everything fell off, you know. You know, George Costa did play well. I mentioned him. You know, Mabika did the best he could. You know, he he didn't have a bad game, but he was just well put into bad spots by. I don't want to throw his teammates in their bus, but there were a lot of just incidents where Mabika was one on one, and you know he he uses his legs to catch up, but you know they're they're still quicker than him, so. They did they, they get they did get past so it, it's unfortunate but um yeah it was just a sloppy game it's it's a it's a throwaway game that they just have to put behind them and and, and get to the next one. All right, uh, guys, as we uh, move on to looking into the future, I definitely want to get to the Orlando game because obviously we want to spend some time on that because of who they are and what that game means and, and everything that will go along with that. But as Austin so wonderfully reminded me, we do need to give a special congratulations and shout out to our very own Robbie Robinson, who's getting a call up to the Chilean national team as Alex throws her hands in the air in celebration. Uh, what a, what, what a, what a ride for this young man, a generation Adidas player, you know, he, he won the, the Herman award at, in Clemson and um, really struggled last year. Now really starting to find his own is a first team starter on this squad. Now getting a call up to the Chilean national team for not just like a regular game guys, right? Like these are world cup qualifiers in South America. That's a really big deal. Uh, it will be his first ever call up that he will get for the Chilean national team that is currently middle of the table. If I'm remembering a little struggling a little in, in their world cup qualifiers uh, as they're trying to get going uh, just off the top of my head. I'm, I'm not sure if I have my, my facts right on that, but uh, do, do we see him getting time? I, I don't really know if I expect him to get any playing time. I would hope that he would get at least, you know, it, just him getting into training with the Chilean national team is huge, right? And where he plays with them, is that important for his Inter-Miami future? I think that the most important thing for Robbie Robinson and this call-up is – him getting experience outside of inter Miami. It's not only that Robbie Robinson is a young player, but he was tied down to collegiate soccer in America and then inter Miami. Now he's heading to South American world cup qualifiers. And that in itself is massive, but you know, diversifying your experience is just as valuable as it is 
obtaining any experience at any time. And Robbie Robinson at 22 years old has had a very young career. Usually, you know, now we're, we're used to players breaking out onto the scene when they're 16 or 17 or 18. But as for Robbie Robinson, you know, it was 21 years old where he came into MLS and he took a whole year off prior to that or two years prior to that, his junior year of Clemson with it, with a leg injury. So he's not had a lot of time and he's obviously he didn't have a full season last year either. And now that he's building his, soccer profile i guess you could say i mean to get this call up is going to do a lot for him and whether or not he gets minutes i will be looking forward to it but at the same time i'm not too adamant about it i'm a little bit indifferent in regards to him getting any minutes on the field i think that him just going away from the team and getting experience outside of what inter miami is and with a national team and with different players in a different system or whatever they want to run there I think it's going to be very, very valuable to the player that Robbie Robinson will become in the future. And whether it's for Inter Miami or whether he progresses past this point, it's going to be really good for him. And I, and I honestly couldn't be happier for him because we all know what he's been through. And after what he's done this season, he's the second highest scorer on the team in limited minutes. He's missed a lot of time. He's had those two injuries to the same hamstring. You couldn't be happier for the guy. So shout out to you, Robbie Robinson. I hope you, you know, you do well. <laughs> Well, Alex, to that point, uh, I mean, Robbie has performed great. He's one of the best uh, attacking wingers in all of MLS statistically this year, right? He, he's He's been, I think, in, in pretty much every uh, statistic, like your advanced stats that you can look at, he, he's been one of the best wingers in all of MLS this year. But the knock on him has always been one the head because he, he went through a, a, a lot of difficulty last year. And as we all did with, with you know, life and, and the situation as being a young professional and everything that happened with him. But the, but the on-the-field knock on him has always been twofold, right? It's, it's the one tracking back in defense, and it's to his passing and, and his creative ability in that. He, he's never really been a creatively passing sort of winging type. He's going to have to do both of those things with Chile because of just the simply the style that they play. He's going to have to track back, be a more physical style, even in training. And he's going to have to play a little more of that tiki-taka style where he's going to have to make those quick passes and turn, quick pass, turn, quick pass, turn. That This could really develop his game a little greater, can't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what he does. I know that... Um, you know, I, I think that, um, I don't know if you guys heard, but you know, uh, you know, the English FA, they basically banned their players going to certain countries because of COVID. So I know a lot of English teams won't be releasing their players. So I think that Robbie could have a very good chance of, of, uh, potentially, um, starting, maybe getting, uh, some playing time. I know, um, for people saying that, you know, Robbie getting a call up to Chile is weird. It, it, not really his, his mom's Chilean. Uh, the Chilean F- uh, Federation has called up uh, a player named Ben Bre- Brereton, who is uh, an English guy. He plays for Blackburn, a uh, 22-year-old. He's the same age as Robbie, which is insane. And it's it's crazy how they're finding these dual nationals to to come and and play for Chile as their golden age is trying, starting to age out a bit. So I, I do think that Robbie has a good chance of uh, of getting some some playing time solely because of that. You know, Bren, Ben Brereton played uh, in the Copa America and he did quite well. He played, he scored a couple of goals. So I think that they're looking to sort of recreate that with Robbie. And he's definitely a type of player who can he can 
he can work on it, but he can be that type of player that, you know, plays that quick one touch uh, type of football. We've seen it occasionally with Inter Miami, but with Miami, he's more of an outlet, you know, use your, use your pace to go burn defenders. So with Chile, he's going to have to work on his, his, his passing game a little bit more, you know, uh, technicality, you know, just a uh, passing back to their more creative players. Uh, he'll get that chance to, to show speed and that pace, but he's definitely going to be a more of a back to goal sort of player, you know, that South American type of style of football where, you know, like certain teams like Brazil or Argentina, they're going to have the ball more. So, you know, a team like Chile, they're going to have to play on the counter a lot. So it's going to, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, what he does because he's definitely a player with a high upside. That's the thing that I want to see more from him. You alluded to it earlier. He's so quick. It's it's always that first step for me that I, I worry about because when he gets his back to goal, if he can play that quick negative ball and then rotate his body with that quick first step, it's lethal. It's absolutely lethal. You cannot stop that. But it's when he plays that and then he takes a couple steps and then slowly rotates around, that's when it winds up being able to track back and sort of defend it. I would also like to see him, especially in this Chilean team, and I alluded to it before, I really want him to improve on his defense. Like He's got to stick in better, not just carelessly, but to stick in in an appropriate fashion that will allow him to track back. He's If you watch how he operates, especially with Gregory on his side of the field, Sometimes he almost looks like he's learning from Gregory on how to track on that, on that late, you know, receiving run to track back in defense. If he can learn how to do that in his, in his sort of, you know, we, we break the field up into thirds in sort of his, so, you know, you can do it horizontally and vertically. So if we do it in nine factors in his sort of ninth part of the field, if he can figure out how to do that, he's going to be a lot more successful of a player and, you know, obviously, like Austin said, we wish him all the best. Very excited for him. A great opportunity for him. A great opportunity for Pizarro, who will be probably, we, we, I think we all expect, with the Mexican national team, perhaps. Uh, we'll, we'll see. That's yet to be seen. Uh, but but has gotten some time there. Uh, and that's, that, that's just a positive for Inter-Miami, to be able to have these guys that are, that are getting these minutes at an international level. All right, guys. We have to end with a big shebang. We're going to Mickey land. The drive up the Ronald Reagan turnpike. We're facing the kittens. It's the second time this year. The first time in Mickey, Ma- the third time this. Oh yeah. yeah the third time because of the away game. This is the last time. Thank you, Austin. Uh, always a because of the Wednesday game, right? Always a fun drive up to Mickey Mouse World. Uh, I don't know what to say about this game. I, I, I've kind of had my my fair share of. I, 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 I could be. I'll be honest. I could be done with them this year. I'm I'm kind of over them, given the MLS's back tournament, everything that happened last year, everything that's happened this year. I've had my fair share of Orlando. I don't really need it anymore. But here we go. So I'm just. The floor is yours. Just take it away. Inter-Miami have to win this game, not just because of standings, not just because of their playoff push, but they lost to Orlando at home. They tied with Orlando on the road. Series is one loss and one draw. You need to end it even and have some ground and, you know, 
leverage over the the arguments that are going to go back and forth between La Familia and, and the kitten army. I guess we'll call them. Um, you 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 have to do this for your fans, and it is always going to be like that in a rivalry game. And the more I think about it, the more I'm just going to push myself to probably drive up there. But I really don't want to. But at the same time, I really do. I don't know if I'm going to do it. I, I just I want to see Inter Miami perform well. The fan in me wants to see Inter Miami perform well uh, against Orlando. We know how I in very quick time how deep this rivalry has gotten. And is it, with can, is it? Can I interrupt you there? Do you think that this is is a natural rivalry? Yes, you do. I think it's okay. a rivalry. Do you think that the uh, a huge natural rivalry between the fans. I, I don't think the fans like each other at all. And then it, that translates well, to what I, happens I on feel, the field because the atmosphere is crazy. I feel that. And I understand that, but I would say like the, I mean, the battles with Nashville feel a little more generic than the battle, right? Like the battles. Yeah, I could see that Red Bulls uh, feel a little more authentic that all of the, in, in Atlanta, those feel realer. Then, there are games that I can recall in this history, but in this this historic matchup, I guess this very short historic matchup, the 90th minute winner with LGP off the corner from a Lewis Morgan cross. And then the Carranza two goal performance that he had, I think that ended up being a 3-2 Miami win. I mean, the two win, the 2-1 loss that Nani had those two goals earlier on in the season, the Kieran Gibbs had, I mean, there have been times where this matchup has produced moments that have been, you know, really tough, but also really good on both sides. And I think that that's where the players are getting emotionally involved. Now it's been an amount of time where you've had two sets of players on the same team for, for two years. And this is, I, this might be their sixth or seventh matchup against each other. A lot of the same players, there's been a history there and we obviously know about the fans too. And I think that that kind of atmosphere and all the talk and the hype translates to what happens on the field. It'll be high intensity. And I wouldn't be surprised if Matuidi and Nani got into it again or whatever it is. I mean, you will see something happen on the field. And I think that's just kind of the game that it is going to become. And maybe it was not, you know, a, a uh, natural rivalry, but I think it's become more of that. Maybe it was pushed, but at the same time, it's become something very serious. Well, I think, I think it is a natural rivalry because Miami and Orlando, right? Like the magic and the heat have this too, that, that always the magic seem to have the heat number, even when the magic are terrible. And so that has sort of created that, that sort of natural rivalry and Miami and Orlando have this thing. To me, this is sort of like a fan thing though, Alex, I, I don't know about you, but it just seems like the fans don't like each other. Just as like human beings, they just don't like each other. It's not necessarily like the players and and what uh, and I think like from an Inter Miami perspective, Nani has proven to be this like you know Darth Sidious figure in in our lives that that has really become the major villain for Inter Miami. Yeah, I think if you look on Twitter, you already see, you know, the fans jawing at each other. It's even before Miami got into the league, it, it was it was just this fan driven rivalry and not in the, the corporate MLS way of, you know, MLS rivalry week presented by Heineken type of way. I meant like genuinely the dislike between the two sides. And I think that. Uh, you know, the the players don't show it, but like uh, you guys mentioned between Nani and Matuidi, you know, there's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, you know, nudge, wink, wink between them. And, you know, it's just, I think eventually it'll, it'll spill over to the players because you see, you know, Orlando 
even though they're what fifth in the East, they still feel like the underdogs for some reason. I think it's just because Miami is, you know, a bigger Miami is a bigger club than Orlando. Nicer place in to terms live. Of, it's a nicer place to live. You can say it. In terms okay. of like branding, I look, I don't want to get jumped again. I already got jumped by Stoke fans. I don't want Orlando City fans to come after me. I'm just saying this to cover my own behind. But yeah, like in terms of branding, Miami is the bigger club. They will be the bigger club going forward. It's just, it, it is what it is. Orlando is not the most exciting city outside of Universal and um, Disney World. Trust me, I have family that's living up there. It's It's not the most exciting place. Like it's genuinely boring outside of a couple of things. I'm sorry if you're living in Orlando and you're in an inner Miami fan, but it is what it is. But as far as, you know, it is a definitely a rivalry between the fans because, you know, it's just back and forth, you know, like preseason last year. Um, what was it? It was one of the all-star games, I think in 2019, where, you know, one of the Orlando supporters groups uh, stole an inner Miami supporters groups banner or something. I don't know, but like petty supporters culture, stuff like that, you know, it hasn't gotten to fist yet. And I hope it doesn't, but you know, it's just, yeah, it is. It's a rivalry and it's only going to grow from here and we'll see what happens on Friday. It's going to be another chapter. Austin, what's your favorite park? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I, I, I would have to say at the moment, it's probably islands of adventure, um, in universal studio. Well, like, I don't know how that works, but islands of adventure is probably my favorite. It's got the little Marvel area. The Hulk is really good. It has the new Velocicoaster. I can give you a bunch of insight on that. If we want to start a theme park podcast, let's do that later on. But no, islands of adventure is my favorite park. Alex. I am a Disney person through and through, so it's none of the Universal Parks. I'm sorry. I love Universal, but I find it terribly boring. I went to Grad Bash there like, back in what, 2016. It, it seems ages ago, but yeah, it, I did not have a good time. I thought it was exceptionally boring. Austin, I'm really sorry, but it, you've got a Universal I am offended. Season, I am so offended. Season ticket holder, seasonal pass holder. I don't know. But yeah, Disney is far superior. I will fight you on that on Twitter. They've just got more to do there. They've got more stuff. They're more entertaining. You know, it's literally the happiest place on earth. You cannot fight me on this. It's it's in their banner. Uh, so yeah, Disney is clear. Epcot is my favorite park. And yeah, I, but I can't Disney wait. is, Disney is, Orlando is not. And I no. will point out as I'm, <laughs> I'm going to Disney World next week, I'll be recording the pod from Disney World next week. So ju- just as, as we do this, I want to just point out None of us, my favorite is Animal Kingdom. None of us said Exploria Stadium. None of us said the Citrus Bowl. None of us said anything related to actual Orlando. Everything that we said was in Lake Buena Vista. Solid solid point. Exactly. That that's all that I have to say about Orlando City. I like giving the problems. I, I also think that like all of us to a certain extent know someone who was maybe not necessarily you guys are are further south than me so maybe not like actually in miami but up here further north like kind of in between we all know somebody who was a soccer fan who prior to inter miami existing was an orlando city fan just because they were the closest team and then either made had to make the decision either okay now i'm going to support inter miami and be like a turncoat 
or I'm going to be that guy that sticks with Orlando and do the counterculture thing. So everybody sort of has that like one fan. You think that that sort of contributes to the rivalry? 100%. And I will say this, I'm not guilty of being an Orlando fan, but when they joined MLS and Kaka was there, it's hard not to follow them being the MLS team, the professional team in Florida. So as much as I was, I wasn't really into MLS at that time. It's kind of grown on me, obviously with Inter Miami being here um, and covering them obsessively almost, uh, but you can't not follow them. So here we go. I, I mean, Yes, it definitely has the localization of the two clubs and how close they are. And being friends with people in Orlando, being friends with people down in Miami, going back and forth, it has everything to do with the rivalry, 100%. They will always be the Austin Aztecs to me. They will always remain the Austin Aztecs. All right, she is. I think that we've had enough of this. This will be a, a, a fun game rivalry weekend for MLS as the All-Star Game is about to kick off. Let's get out of here. She is Alex Winley. He is Austin Robillard. I am Ian Hess. Thank you so much for joining us on the Heron Outlet, and we will see you back here this time next week. Take care.